Hello. On the Ham and Hyde podcast this week, Sally Patterson talks to Dr. Ali Jaffe, a working junior doctor and the co-founder of NutriTank, which promotes the importance of food and nutrition in medicine. Earlier this year, she received a Diana Award, a scheme launched in memory of Princess Diana. Here, Ali discusses the role of food in medicine and some practical tips for good eating. Ali Jaffe, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I should say Dr. Ali Jaffe. So lovely to speak to you. What a blast from the past. Childhood friends. <laughs> I know, and look at us now. Hilarious. I mean, yeah, well, gosh, we must have known each other for, I don't know, almost 10 years. No, more. Almost 20, almost 20 years. Literally primary school and then the Bristol connection. So amazing to reconnect and lovely to be on here this morning. Really lovely to chat to you. So, Ali, you are a Childs Hill NHS junior doctor and also the co-founder of NutriTank, which is an information hub of food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine, promoting the need for more education within healthcare training and empowering members of the public to improve their health. So what an incredible initiative to have started. Am I right in thinking you started that when you were a student at Bristol? Exactly. In our second year of medical school, my co-founder and I thought, let's do something big and bold. And so NutriTank was born. And what got you thinking about NutriTank in the first place? What was your interest in food and nutrition? So I took a year out before I started medical school because I didn't get in first time round. I think that's really important to say for any aspiring secondary school students or even grad students who want to apply for medicine. It does not matter if you don't get in first time round, if you really want to do it, persevere. So anyways, I took a year out and on that year, I really developed this interest in nutrition and lifestyle medicine. I'm very much uh, just passionate about holistic healthcare and how, you know, the whole patient experience and not just thinking about their disease, but actually their illness experience and the effect it has on them. And so when I arrived at medical school, I, I was already primed to think in this particular way, you know, around whole person care. And I was just quite befuddled that in my lectures, when we were learning about cardiology or endocrinology, whatever specialty, that every single specialty did not include education around what diet and lifestyle advice you could give to patients. Yet, when you look at the NICE guidelines, which are the National um, Institute of Clinical Excellence, which are the healthcare guidelines that NHS healthcare professionals have to abide by. And so when you look at the NICE guidelines for every chronic condition from hypertension, so high blood pressure, diabetes, even polycystic ovarian syndrome, the first line management for all these conditions, it's written there, is to offer patients diet and lifestyle advice. But my co-founder and I, Dr. Ian Broadley, we were sat in the lecture theatres when you're doing all the kind of pre-med stuff, thinking, well, why are we jumping straight to pharmaceuticals and surgery? Where is that initiative to talk about diet and lifestyle, what the patient can do for themselves to empower themselves to actually learn things around diet and lifestyle interventions to help their overall physical and mental well-being? So we thought this was a bit of a weird gap in medical education and we really wanted to change it. So that's why NutriTank came about. And for those of us who haven't gone through medical school, what sort of what sort of stuff were you being taught in your classes? Was there anything about nutrition, about lifestyle, or was it all very, I suppose, medicine-based? 
So we were being taught, so if we take like the gastrointestinal system, for instance, the GI system, and um, where nutrition, I guess, comes up the most, we were being taught the physiology, the biochemistry and the anatomy of the digestive system. So the real biomedical science behind why you get inflammatory bowel disease, et cetera, et cetera. We weren't actually being taught around the diet and lifestyle interventions and the brilliant research basis that supports interventions to actually improve the chronic symptoms of diseases like that. So um, not really learning the practical approach of how you can have that consultation with the patient or the theory around diet and lifestyle and its therapeutic benefit. And I'm sure this is a kind of, you know, how long is a piece of string? And there's a huge answer to this, but what sorts of things are we talking about when we're talking about nutritional and lifestyle medicine, you know, interventions? What, what sorts of things might that include? So if we take a study that was um, done in Leon, so the Leon Heart Study, what we want to get across is within cardiology lectures, if you just have a slide or two of something like the Leon Heart Study, you can teach students that when healthcare professionals, and this is what the data showed from the study, when healthcare professionals advise patients who'd had previous heart attacks, myocardial infarctions, when healthcare professionals advise patients on Mediterranean diet principles, they found that 50%, don't quote me on that exact, it might be 58%, but in the 50s, they found that this subset of patients who'd received this advice from their healthcare professionals went on to have a much more reduced likelihood of redeveloping any cardiovascular condition. So it just goes to show that when it comes from your healthcare professional and it's evidence-based, we know that the Mediterranean diet has one of the strongest evidence bases, whether you're talking about mental health or stroke or cardiovascular disease, whatever it is. So we know there's a lot of research to support that if you tell your patients about diet and lifestyle interventions and you support them along this behavioral modification journey, that they can really see results. We know there's lots of research for type 2 diabetes now about even being able to use diet and lifestyle to put your type 2 diabetes into remission, not even just manage the symptoms. So there's an absolute fortune out there. We're not lacking the evidence basis. We're just lacking the implementation at this point. I think what's really interesting is this idea of it coming from your medical professional, right? Because, you know, we might, I think most people know that, you know, the Mediterranean diet is meant to be really healthy and eating kind of lots of like proteins and, you know, pulses and things like that. But on the whole, we tend to get that information from the pages of glossy magazines, right? And you're saying that is what the problem is, is that this needs to be a kind of legitimate authoritative voice giving that information. Without a shadow of a doubt, we are in an age where misinformation is ripe. It is so disturbing what is online at the moment. And some doctors are actually liable for spreading misinformation because they're, you know, they've got the credibility of being a doctor, but they don't actually have thorough training in nutrition. So I've seen doctors online spreading misinformation about IV vitamin drips, which is a complete fad, the keto diet as your long-term diet, and all these things. And then celebrities and influencers saying, try my slim tree try this try that and it is so harmful and it creates a whole disordered relationship with food and it can waste people's money and promise them results that they won't get so we just really want to have regulated standardized credible information going out to patients about diet and lifestyle that's affordable that can be applied to their culture so we're culturally inclusive we know that we can't just talk about the Mediterranean diet we have to talk about diets of other 
ethnic groups, um, which more and more research is coming out about at the moment. And so it's just so important that this is the mainstay of medical training going forward. And it doesn't just have to be medics. We're starting off with medics because they're the gatekeepers. You know, you go and see your doctors, but we want to see pharmacists trained up, nurses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And tell me then, where does Nutritank come into this? What on the ground is Nutritank doing to, to start pushing that, that agenda? So five years ago now, when we set up Nutritank, we really wanted to take a grassroots bottom-up approach and just try and empower as many future doctors around the country as possible. So as millennials do, we got on social media to really try and gather interest. And five years on, we now have 22 medical schools with Nutritank branches, which is two thirds of UK medical schools. And this essentially allows any medical student which has a Nutritank branch at the medical school to join that society. You know, we just found that there was just about a society in every medical specialty. If you wanted to be an oncologist, if you wanted to be a pediatrician, but there was nothing about nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So we now have a hub dedicated to this at medical schools nationwide where students can go and find out more on how they can actually use this information for their own future patients so they can be better doctors and provide better patient care but also how they can use this information to avoid burnout increase resilience and improve their own physical and mental well-being because we know that physician well-being is so important and physicians are the highest risk of suicide, burnout, etc. So we want this information to be for the practitioner as well as the patient. So um, Nutritank took this bottom-up approach. We kind of spread like wildfire. So huge thanks to social media for that. And then from being quite disruptive, we started to get um, more things in the press. We appeared on BBC Radio 4 in Bristol, where we were both studying with the wonderful Sheila Dillon, the food programme presenter. And things kind of just snowballed from there. We were in a BBC News article entitled Medical Students Say We Learn Nothing About Nutrition. And it really got the conversation starting. That I started, that was back in 2018. And from there, we actually then got to meet policy stakeholders that allowed us to be part of a top-down approach to create sustainable systemic change. And we were invited to join an interprofessional working group tasked by the General Medical Council, which is our regulatory body that decides if we're fit to practice and essentially allows us to practice and monitors us. And so they tasked the GMC. So the GMC tasked uh, this task essentially of creating more nutrition for medics to the Association for Nutrition, the AFN, which is the regulatory body for registered nutritionists in this country. So, um, that's a whole nother story, but just so your listeners know, the title nutritionist is not regulated. Anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, having done a weekend course versus a master's degree. So the dietitian, AFN, right? Is a dietitian a kind of someone who's gone through? Is that wrong? Is that right? So difference between they're both very credible figures, registered nutritionists and dietitians, but dietitian is protected because it's part of the NHS professional program because you're working with ill health. So when, uh, for instance, I'm working on a stroke ward at the moment and um, dietitians are very heavily involved because a lot of patients have lost their swallow and they need specific diets. Um, so they deal with when um, people are experiencing ill health. So cancer patients, um, inflammatory bowel disease patients, all with an inpatient setting. Um, although there are some di dietitians in the community as well, whereas 
registered nutritionists are part of commercial food companies, making sure everything's credible, that you can have public health nutritionists, and they're not necessarily dealing with ill health, but they're dealing with health promotion around nutrition. So um, slightly different, but both um, very important. We work with both um, sets of professions. But like I said, nutritionist isn't regulated. So the AFN is the body that if you see an AFN registered nutritionist, you know that they are regulated and they've not done a weekend course. So um, the AFN have been leading this top down uh, brilliant initiative over the last three and a half years to get more nutrition long term into undergraduate medical training. And as of last month, after working on it for three and a half years, we now have the gold standard set of guidelines of what that curriculum looks like. And it was just launched. And that holds the potential for every medical student going forward now to learn about nutrition. Well, I mean, what a fantastic achievement and your achievements haven't gone kind of unrecognized because obviously you won the really prestigious Diana Award earlier this year. Um, tell me a little bit about about winning that and what that felt like. Oh, my gosh, it was absolutely just out of body experience. And uh, I was just I was just so humble because it's from ages eight to 25. So I'm actually in the top age group of winning the award. So thank goodness I was awarded it last year. Otherwise um, I never would have had the chance. And to be part of that community and to be associated with the name Diana, who is someone my family and I just admire so greatly was just such a wonderful achievement. And, um, you know, she so supported young change makers and people who went against the status quo as she did. Um, so it was just an incredible thing to be associated with and the past winners as well I've always admired so many young people like Ben West and Joe Plum who are mental health advocates who have previously won the award so it was just amazing the sad thing was that it was virtual so I didn't get to dress up and be part of like a really cool um ceremony with Prince Harry and you know in person and things like that he did a virtual kind of message for the virtual ceremony it wasn't the same but all the while it was it was really amazing and then um we get invited to go and visit the um Spencer estate um in Northampton which I went to in July with my parents uh, to go see where Diane is buried and that was remarkable to see where she grew up I'm quite interested in where your own interest in in this world of of kind of nutritional health and uh lifestyle medicine came from what was it like in your own family growing up was there a focus on on what you were eating and kind of how you were eating it and the lifestyle you were living yeah I definitely say it came from growing up um in my household so I'm first generation British both my parents are South African and my mom's actually vegetarian and has been since she was 12 so growing up I was a very fussy eater I can't lie but I was um always being fed vegetables lots of fresh fruit and never really any processed food my mom's a fabulous cook so always taught me the importance of cooking from scratch and she would always bake as I'm sure you remember from school so um food was a very big thing for me growing up um, we're also I'm part of a Jewish household and food is a huge symbol for us in all celebrations so 
as I grew older, my palate grew and I became less fussy. I absolutely became fascinated by food and truly call myself a foodie. I'm so interested in the social and psychological aspect of food and, um, you know, how it's related to all different cultural um, practices. And um, so I've always been really fascinated. And then being someone who's always wanted to be a doctor, I really found it remarkable to find out there was a whole field that existed that actually married food and health being nutrition and someone um and I've always been someone who has been very stubborn and I've known since I was a teenager before starting medical school that I've wanted to pursue psychiatry because um had a lot of mental illness in my family and it's just been something I've been fascinated with from a very young age and so when I found out that the field nutritional psychiatry existed which looks at nutrition interventions within mental illness my mind was just completely open to that and um, blown away um I've also uh, in terms of how you know I'm interested in this I have had my own struggles with mental health and um, being a medical student for six years and living out of home for six years, I really had to learn ways to support myself um, through self-care and so um, food and cooking from scratch and was really one of those ways for me to support my own mental health and I found it extremely mindful and cathartic as an actual um, kind of meditative process I loved the actual act of cooking as well as the nutritional content that was beneficial for my mind and body so yeah that's a bit of a whistle stop tour of how I got interested in nutrition and where it's left me now yeah so that's I guess the goal then is to end up in nutritional psychiatry which I have to say I didn't really know about before so that's absolutely fascinating um, for those listeners who might just want you know sort of the a very shortened version what are some of the kind of best tips that you can give for for eating in a way that is kind of mindful that does kind of get all those benefits that you're speaking about um not and for people who don't necessarily have you know a whole bunch of time to be to be cooking you know two hour two hour meals Sure. Well, before I go into the practical tips, I'll just give a little bit of um, research background on um, nutritional psychiatry. So one of the great pioneers of nutritional psychiatry is a professor based in Australia called Professor Felice Jacker. And she was actually just, um, as of this week, awarded um, the and higher order of empire award by the queen, essentially like an OBE, but in Australia. Um, and Felice led a trial that is like one of the mainstay randomized controlled trials in nutritional psychiatry called the SMILES trial. And essentially looked at dietary improvement for adults with major depression using a nutrition intervention. So um, it found really, really positive results showing that um, of the individuals, there was a very high proportion that had a really great impact of the nutrition intervention arm of the study on their mental illness symptoms versus the arm of the study that um, only had um, CBT and cognitive therapy, other cognitive therapies as the treatment intervention. So um, it was a really, really groundbreaking study. And some practical tips that you can gain from that is What's brilliant about this study is that it showed that it can be done in a very cheap way, that eating healthily doesn't have to be expensive because they looked at the economic um, cost of all the foods that they were providing the individuals. But some top tips would be 
beans and improving your fiber. So beans and pulses are super cheap. If you don't even buy them in a tin and you buy them dry and soak them overnight, it's really cheap way to get high fiber and plant foods into your diet. Um, I'd say drinking lots of water equally is extremely important and um, meal prepping. So I think if you are someone who enjoys cooking, then you can have a really relaxing Sunday afternoon. And this is what I usually do, where you think ahead of the, you think for the week ahead and you meal prep and it's a really um, calming process and you're ensuring yourself that you have meals prepared for the week. And it's really good for students and young professionals to get into the habit of doing that. And it doesn't have to be that you cook the same this the same meal to have every single day that week you don't want that so my advice would be and this is what I usually do is that on a Sunday afternoon if I'm not working you but you cook batches of different pulses and grains so you have like one batch of brown rice one batch of whole wheat pasta one batch of like lentils and then throughout the week you mix and match different things add different vegetables in and different sources so you've got the majority of the stuff cooked but it doesn't have to be dull and just making sure you have lots of color and variety in your diet so as you know lame as it sounds but really try and eat the rainbow and um, we know that dark leafy greens are really really good um, and being able to have as many different colours in your diet as possible, um, as well as fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut are really good for the gut. And we know that the gut is really connected to the brain through the gut-brain axis. So, um, yeah, those are just a few tips, but um, it really is feasible. Well, there's so much to think about there and loads for me to try and take on myself. Um, I'm going to try and make myself like kimchi. It's an acquired taste, I think, but I think if I persevere, you know, I can get there. Um, well, Ali, I am so grateful for your time. Um, it's easy to forget that alongside doing all of this, you are actually also a junior doctor working in the NHS. Um, so goodness knows how you fit it all in. Um, but it's been a real pleasure to have you on. And I'm sure that um, listeners can go and find out a whole load more about what you're up to in NutriTank uh, in their own time. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, if you want to know more, follow NutriTank on Instagram. It's at NutriTank underscore official. We're also on Twitter at NutriTank underscore info and have a website, NutriTank.com. I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Ali Jaffe and Twitter too. So thank you so much to Dr. Ali Jaffe for speaking to us. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit subscribe. We'll be back again soon.